That's not fair. I can't follow that. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that song. Well, we're hanging in there in Philippians. We're in chapter 3. We let the ladies in tonight because they got all jealous. Do you know when we get done with the book of Philippians, I've been telling some of the people, all we're doing is chopping down the tree and leaving it in big chunks. You guys got to split it up into firewood. There's a lot more in here. And I hope your appetite is being whetted to go back in and study more. And I hope the next time I come in May, you'll tell me all the other things that you've been getting out of the book of Philippians. It's a great book. There's a hymn in the old hymn book by Edwin Hodder that says, Thy word is like a garden, Lord, with flowers bright and fair, and everyone who seeks may pluck a lovely bouquet there. Thy word is like a deep, deep mine, and jewels rich and rare are hidden in its mighty depths for every searcher there. Well, we're walking through the garden And we're picking the flowers. And we're digging a little bit. We're getting a little below the surface in the book. And when you start digging in the Word of God, that's what you find. If you just have time to walk through it and pick the flowers that are on the surface, you get a blessing. But when you start digging, you start finding the jewels. And they're in there. Thy Word is like a deep, deep mine. And jewels, rich and rare, are hidden. God did it on purpose. They're hidden in its mighty depths. If you want to find those, you've got to dig. Thy word is like a starry host. A thousand rays of light are seen to guide the traveler and make his pathway bright. Thy word is like an armory where soldiers may repair and find for life's long battle day all needful weapons there. Oh, may I love thy precious word. May I explore the mine. May I its fragrant flowers glean May light upon me shine. Oh, may I find my armor there. Thy word, my trusty sword. I'll learn to fight with every foe. The battle of the Lord. I trust that God's word is being as much of a blessing to us as it was to the man who wrote that hymn. Now we're in Philippians 3. And we're going to begin reading in verse 15. Verse 15, down to chapter 4, verse 1, because chapter 4 begins with the word, therefore. So it's really a conclusion to what came before it. So we're going to include that as as the ending to chapter 3, and we'll leave chapter 4, verse 2 for the beginning of the next chapter tomorrow. So let's read then chapter 3 and verse 15. Of Philippians, the word of the Lord says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect or mature, be thus minded. If in anything you are otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have seen us for an example. So as you have us for an example, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, and who mind earthly things. For our conversation or our manner of life or our citizenship is in heaven. From where we look also for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue even all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. We thank you for these warnings and exhortations, for these promises and for the hope that we have in the word of God. And we pray, our Lord, that you would apply your word to us this evening. That you would speak to each of our hearts. That each of us might have that sense that God has been speaking to him through the word and given him something for his life for this day. Something that we can apply. Some way in which we can grow. Some way in which we can bring honor and glory to the one who gave everything for us. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ will be exalted and glorified in this meeting and in our lives. For we ask it in his own name. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to go to citizenship class tonight. When people go to citizenship class, they have to start learning how to behave. They have to learn what's expected of them. They learn something about the country they belong to, and they, and they learn about what's expected of them and, and what they shouldn't do. And Paul talks about these things here in this chapter. But what we really have before us, in simplest terms, is a conclusion to something that he started way back in, in verse 1 of this chapter when he gave them the warning. Verse 1 and verse 2, especially verse 2, he said, Beware of dog, or beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilators. And he began to give them a warning about people who unfortunately have an influence on individuals and on churches. He was worried about the Philippian church in some sense, concerned about them, that these people might come in people who belonged to the outside like dogs, people whose works were not good and not favorable and not edifying but evil, people who didn't emphasize anything else except the mutilating and the cutting up, the following of the law of Moses, and they turned people away from the gospel and back into the law and the works of the law. He says, you watch out for those people. These are the parasites. They don't go off and start their own uh, church somewhere. They don't do that. They come in and jump on and start trying to suck the life out of the ones that already exist. They bring in their doctrines. They bring in their teachings. And they begin to work their way in. He says, look out for them. And you see a beware of dog sign and you go in inside and get bit. It's nobody's fault but yours. You stay away from them. The idea is look out and stay away. And he began this here in the first part of chapter 3. And then he gave his own example. He said, now look, this is the way it is. If they want to boast in their flesh and what they've done and what they achieve, I could boast more than them. 
He says in verse 4, I might have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinks he has whereof, he might trust in the flesh. I more, Paul says. I could boast more in my achievements than all of them. All of these supposed teachers. And he begins to give the example of all the things that he had in verses 5 and 6. His resume, everything that he had, all of his achievements, everything that could have been his pride and his boasting in this world. And he says, I counted it all loss. Past tense. Verse 7. And in verse 8 he comes back and he says, and I counted all loss. I'm still doing it. I haven't changed my mind. Since the day I found Jesus Christ, nothing has ever caused me to turn back. I haven't had another moment where I had has turned back and felt soft, warm, fuzzy thoughts about my former life. I didn't drag out all my pharisaical trappings and put them out there again and start bragging on all of that and go back to that. He says, I counted it loss, and I count it loss. I have suffered the loss of all things, he says, for Christ Jesus my Lord, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. To the Apostle Paul, Christ was worth and worth more than everything this world has to offer. Every honor, every title, every career, every degree, every form of human boasting, every form of human excellence, everything that can be achieved on this world, you put it on one side, along with all the wealth, all the finances, all the power, all the awards, you put it all on one side, and Christ on the other. He says, all of this is loss, he says. And then he says, and not only loss. Not only did I count it loss, and not only do I count it loss, but he says, as I look back on all of that now, I count it something worse than loss. He says at the end of verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but... Now, that's a real polite word, that word rubbish, because you could think of that as the trash, and we talked about it that way. The women who are outside the door there listening already know we talked about taking out the trash. I know there are a few sneaking around out there. I heard about that. (laughs) I'm not as dumb as I look. (laughs) We talked about taking out the trash, but that word is not really trash or rubbish. That word is dung. It's excrement. You might as well know what it is. Is worse than trash, is worse than loss, and worse than rubbish, and worse than trash. It stinks. He gave it all up. And now when he comes to this part of the chapter, he begins to tell them, as he gave them the example of how he gave all of that up and he put his thoughts on Christ and his mind on Christ and he pressed forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That was the one thing he did. He didn't try to add Christ into a well-rounded life of many other things. He lived Christ. He thought Christ. He slept Christ. He ate and drank Christ. He talked Christ. He said in one place, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And now he says, in verses 15 and on, he says, be followers of me. Verse 17, brethren, are you a brother? Are you a sister? You in the family? 
He doesn't say, theologians, be followers of me. Reverend pastors, be followers of me. Missionaries, be followers of me. And everybody who's been saved more than 15 or 20 years, be followers of me. He looks at those Philippian believers and some of them had very little time in the Lord. And they came from all kinds of varied backgrounds. You have the Philippian jailer on one side. You have Lydia from Thyatira on the other side. You have the members of their household. Maybe some of them had been servants, uneducated. And probably that girl who had been demon-possessed, who walked along behind them. She's in the midst of it. What a variety of people. And to every one of those, none of whom... You hear clearly what I'm saying. None of whom had ever been to seminary or Bible college. To every single one of them, he said, follow me. Be followers of me. Be imitators of me. Because this is exactly what he's concentrating on now. As he has passed through the example of what he gave up and what he gained and what he's pressing forward towards, he turns now to the Philippians and he says, and I don't want you, I don't want to look around and see you up there in the stand saying, Yay for Paul! Yay for our side! No, 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 no. In, in Christianity, no spectators. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not a form of entertainment, a high moral form of entertainment where uh, many people sit around and admire the life and the labors and the commitment of a few. No, sir, no, ma'am. Christianity is Christ, believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, following Christ, learning about Christ, imitating Christ, marking examples of people who have walked in his path, in his steps, and following them. Christianity demands a change because the cross brings that change. And no person who has not passed by the cross of Jesus Christ and been changed by Christ can call himself a Christian. Oh, there are plenty of people who call themselves uh, Christians and I just want to read to you a little bit from a, a tract that I have that my father used to give out. Once he trusted the Lord, he wrote a letter to all of his relatives and his friends and he told about what, had ha- what he had been like before and what had, he had come to believe and trust and he sent them this tract and I keep it in the back of my Bible as one of the Memories I got from him. On labels, it says, A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. True. But if a nurseryman hung rose labels on petunias and dandelions, it would not make them roses. We like labels. It saves us the trouble of thinking. Many people are called Democrats or Republicans without knowing what the label means. A person may have the label success if he's made a lot of money, even if his life is a colossal failure. A vague catch-all label is Christian. Most people ask, if asked, are you a Christian, find it easy to answer, yes. That's because the label includes, now get these, five kinds of Christians listed here. First of all, hereditary Christians. Hereditary Christians. People whose parents were Christians and who think they are also They may attend church occasionally or even regularly, especially the church of their parents. Are you a hereditary Christian? Ethical Christians. People who are good. They live decent lives and want others to do so also. 
They like the golden rule that Jesus taught. They think that doing one's best is all that anyone can expect. Ethical Christians. Are you an ethical Christian? Cultural Christians. People who live in a Christian community or nation. They like the music and the ceremonies, especially to get married and buried with. Are you a cultural Christian? If someone asks you if you're a Christian and you say yes, is it because of some vague way you believe in Jesus and you know you're not a Buddhist or an atheist or a Muslim, so you must be a Christian? Is that what you think? Oh, then you're a cultural Christian. And then there are social Christians. People who like to meet their friends at church, like their children to make proper friends, and like the social activities. Businessmen find it's good for business. A social Christian? And then there are the true Christians. People who believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son who died on the cross to save them and accept Him as their Master and Lord. This last group may also have Christian parents and try to lead decent lives, go to church, enjoy Christian cultural and social activities. But they realize that none of these things makes the person a Christian. A Christian has experienced such a total change that it is called being born again. Being born again. So, the Apostle Paul speaks to people who are born again and he says, follow me. An impossible task for people who have not been born again. And and right difficult for those of us who have. Enough to keep us busy for the rest of our life. But a lot of people don't want to follow Paul. They don't want to imitate. He says here, as many of you as are mature, be like-minded. Be of the same mind. And he says in verse 16, that which we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. As far as we have gotten in all the light we have and from the things that we have learned, let's walk by it. Let's live in that light. Walk by that rule. And then he says, be followers of me. Brethren, be followers of me. And mark those. Look at them. Note them. Those who also walk this way. As you have us for an example, he says. An example. The Bible doesn't talk about heroes. Now, we do sometimes when we read things like, Um, Hebrews 11, and we talk about the heroes of the faith. And one day, if we ever go through the book of Hebrews together, I'll get on to that. There aren't any heroes. That's not a comic book you read or a story book you read. Those are called examples to live by. That's kind of like going into the wax museum for some people. I better be careful. I'm going to get off onto it now, and I don't want to. We'll save that for another time. Examples to follow. Come with me to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, verses that we all know. Verses 19 and 20, the Lord said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, Teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What did I leave out? 
Hmm? Okay, well, uh, teach. Yeah, that's a. Uh, this is the King James. Who has the King James version? I'm the only one. I bet. I I just never gotten around to switching. All right, I'm going to read it again. Never mind. Adel, give me your Bible. What have you got? What is this? New New American Standard. Okay, I forgive you. (laughs) Now, you all know, if you don't know me, I'll tell you right away. I'm just teasing. All right, listen now. Let's see. New American Standard. Let's see if I get it right. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Ah, now you're getting it right. The old King James says to observe, it means to do, to obey. The Lord never told the disciples to go around and just give outlines so people could memorize information about the Bible. And what's gone wrong with Christianity in our times? The end of the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century? You know what's wrong with it? People are not doing what it says right here in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Right there is the seed plot out of which all the rest of the New Testament comes. You pour water on Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and the book of Acts grows out. That's what's there. They taught them to live by, to obey, to keep, to observe all the things that the Lord had taught them. Nobody expected Christians simply to raise their hand and and go... I'll trust the Lord and come forward and say, now I want to join the church, and that's it. And then they just sit and come to meetings and sit, like we said the other day when we were talking to the men. They know it. They got it. The frozen Christian who never moves, who never grows, who never develops, who thinks he has the gift, his spiritual gift is come to the meeting. Do what? That ain't no spiritual gift. Coming to the meeting? Well, that's, that's on the, about on the same level as going to the movies. If that's all there is to it. You can go sit in a theater and watch a movie. And go home and talk about the, your, what your favorite part was. And say you might like to see it again. But I bet your life isn't changed by it. The young Christians, the new Christians from the Lord's time right on. And Paul is still doing it as he writes to the book to the Philippians in the book of Philippians. And he says, follow me. The Christians were taught to follow the example, to imitate the example, to put into practice in their lives the teachings of the Lord. And that's why I was telling the brothers the other day about that book by Andrew Murray, The School of Obedience. Because I think it would do a lot of good for modern so-called Christians to read that book and to enroll themselves in the school of obedience. That's gotten to be an ugly word in a lot of places. And all you have to do is say obedience. And in some people's mind immediately jumps up the word legalism. They don't have anything to do, nothing to do with the biblical concept of obeying the Lord. He says here, let as many 
of us as are mature have the same mind. Be thus minded. It means to follow in thought, to think like the apostles. And he's calling us here in verse 15, in verse 16, in verse 17, he's calling us to maturity. Do you want to mature? Do you want to grow? Do you want to develop? Then you have to follow the example of the apostles and those who followed them. There's the way. You want to go on to maturity. Walk by the same rule. Mind the same thing. Have the same mind. Be followers together of me, brethren, he says. And he's emphasizing it in these three verses, 15, 16, and 17, how important it is. Look at Luke chapter 6. The Lord taught the disciples this. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, he said, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. For everyone who is fully taught will be like the one who taught him. And that means, this, was, this can be taken also as a warning the Lord has given the disciples. How important it was for those men who were to become the apostles. How important it was for their lives to be like Christ. Because the danger is this. The one who is being discipled will imitate, will become like the one who is discipling him. And you can reproduce things that you wish you didn't. So he's talking to the disciples, first of all, about their own character. But he's also saying something to those of us who are in the place of the learner, the follower, the imitator of the apostles. That we're supposed to be like them. The Lord never, N-E-V-E-R, never intended for Christianity to be divided into two castes of the clergy and the laity. He never intended that. The apostles from the very beginning taught people to be with them, to fellowship with them, to imitate and follow their example and to do what they did. He never intended that. That's something that religions have foisted on Christianity and infiltrated Christianity and put it in that the Lord never intended to be there. And it has ruined and killed the spiritual growth and stymied and stifled people's spiritual lives for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you don't want to follow the example of Christ and the apostles, I question whether you even know the Lord. You excuse me for being blunt. Wake up! Christianity is Christ. We say we follow the apostles' doctrine. Well, the apostles taught us how to live. Paul says, be followers of me. He doesn't say, just memorize my notes. Be followers of me. You can't go to a Christian bookstore somewhere and buy Cliff's notes on the Apostle Paul of the Bible and run through that and memorize the main things and pass the test. It's got to be in your life. And that gives me work. I'm at the head of the list of the people who need to work on it. It gives me work for the rest of my life. And by the grace of God, I'm working on it. There's an example to follow. And it is held out. And I look at that verse and I say that example is held out to me. And I need to follow it. And if it means breaking with my life as it was before, if it means rearranging the scheme and the diagram and the flow chart of my life, if it means change on one side or the other, if it means personal loss, and even if it means death, 
Because the Lord Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, the death of the cross. And who am I to put a limit on obedience to the Lord, to his teachings, and to following him? And who are you to do it? No. Dear brothers and sisters, we've been called with a high calling of God in Christ Jesus and it means, and God fully intends for us to believe in His Son, to trust in His Son, and to follow Him with all of our lives. And if more people who call themselves Christians would do it, Christianity as it appears to the world would be completely different from what it is today. And just like in the days of the book of Acts, when it says, and of the rest, no man dared join himself to them. People wouldn't come traipsing in and easily call themselves Christians. They'd be careful to say that they associate with them. They think like them. They follow like them. In the days of the New Testament, Christians were considered to be a cult. Why? Because they all went off uh, and lived somewhere in uh, Central to South America on a big farm and raised bananas and no, 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 no. Because their lives and their love had been so changed and marked. They were so in love with Jesus Christ. It didn't mean they gave up everything they had and went and lived in a commune. And you can't find that in the New Testament. But everything they had, they were willing to use for Christ and for his kingdom. For me to live, that's it. That's my portfolio. That's Paul's portfolio, better said. And he looks at us and says, is it yours? What's in your portfolio? What does it mean for you to live? What is your dream? What is your ideal? Is it to be like Christ? Or is it something else? And you just come to church because you're curious to know a little bit more about the Bible. We're being called to maturity. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says it to the Corinthians, not just to the Philippians. <clears throat> Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And that word follower here in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 is the word mimetai, from which comes our word mimic, imitators, to mimic, to look at, to follow to study, and then to be able to reproduce. Although we usually use the word mimic in a humorous sense, don't we? And I know after I leave, somebody's going to imitate my accent. <laughs> Bad boys and girls. <laughs> I don't mind. We like to imitate, but we like to do it in a humorous sense. And the examples that have been put before us in the scriptures say that there's something given to us to imitate that is dead serious. And that means a change in life. We're called, he says, to do that. Be imitators of me. He invites them. Be imitators of me. Mock me. Mimic me. Not mock me in the bad sense. But do what I do. Just like Gideon, way back in the Old Testament. What did he say in Judges seven seventeen when he was about to... Lead his, his little army of 300 men down to triumph over the Midianites. What did he say? Look at me and do as I do. Amen. That's what Gideon said. 
in Judges 7. Look at me and do as I do. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 3. To the degree that we have already attained, walking in the light that we have, he says in verse 16, mind the same thing. Be like-minded. Have the same mind. Have the same code of behavior. And he says back in verse 16, backing up, he says, And if any of you are otherwise minded, God will reveal this to you. And what do you think God's going to do that for? The word otherwise comes from the word heteros. There are two words in the, in the Greek language that are translated other. One is alas, and the other is heteros. Alas means another, A-L-L-O-S, transliterated means another of the same kind. And heteros, you already know, means another of a different kind. And so he's saying here, now if any of you are heteros, you got a different mind, you have a different opinion, you have a different point of view, you're walking by a different code, you have different priorities. If you're heteros in your mind, he said, God will reveal that to you. God will point it out to you. Why? So that you can make the correction. Because you see, this is a decision. God doesn't impose this on us. You are called upon, I'm called upon to to decide. Let this be in you, he says. Let as many of us as are this way, as as are mature, be thus minded. Be followers of me, he says. You have to do it. You have to decide. You have to make a commitment. It doesn't sit well with North Americans. And people from some other countries as well. Too much individualism. Too much desire to maintain my personal and distinct identity. And of course everybody has their character and their personal identity. And nobody's talking about erasing that. But what we're talking about is living the Christian life like Paul lived his Christian life. And if you don't decide to do it, and if you don't make a commitment to the Lord to do it, you're not going to get there. It doesn't come by osmosis. We have the same rule, verse 16. The Scriptures. The Scriptures. We have the same mind that we had back in chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus. And God calls upon us to think different. He calls upon us to submit our mind to Him. And to invite Him to control our thoughts and our attitudes, and our priorities, and our desires, and the way we look at and value and esteem other people. He says, let this way of thinking be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Brethren, verse 17, join in following my example. That's all the Philippian believers. Join in following my example. Any joiners here tonight? Want to join? You can't join the church. There's, there's no list or role to join. This is not a club. This is a, a, an assembly, a church, a congregation of people who believe, who trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation and for their life. And who want to follow him and be like him.
Nobody here has any get-out-of-hell-free cards to pass out. You know, like in Monopoly, get-out-of-jail-free. You get the card, and you raise up your edge of the board, and you stick it under there, and you wait. In case you get a bad roll of the dice, and uh, you end up there, two, three, four, five, six. Aha, but i got to get out of jail free card. And you play it, and you're out. And people think that's kind of like what Christianity is all about. Well, we heard that if we were bad, we were going to hell. And we don't want to go to hell. And we heard that Jesus saves us, so we'll believe in him. We'll sniffle and cry a little bit, or we'll say, I accept him. Uh, and then we'll just keep the get out of hell free card. And then if we get a bad roll of dice in life, if something happens to us or we get into trouble, well, then we don't feel so bad because we know we look under our edge of the board and we got that little card stuffed away there just in case anything happens or for when that time comes. That's not the way Christianity works. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not a little ticket that you get punched and that's the end of that. It's when God comes into a person's life a person who trusts Christ, a person who's looking to have a new life, to get a life, and they get it from God. He gives a new life. That's why Christianity is called being born again. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone be in Christ, he is the same person he was before, but he goes to church on Sunday, if it's convenient. Is that what it says? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become modified, (laughs) reformed. It says new. It's a new life. Have you got a life yet? The Lord gives new lives. He gives new lives. But a lot of people are satisfied. A lot of people with a lot less than what the Lord has to give. I hope you're not one of them. I hope you're not hanging on to your greasy little get-out-of-hell-free card and thinking that that's all there is to it. He says, Brethren, that means all the Philippians, verse 17, be followers together of me. That means all of them. Follow me. And until we come to do that, we cannot say that we have obeyed God's word and what it calls us to do. We are never called to merely admire the apostles. We're called to follow them. Their lives were meant to be an example for our lives. Their lives were meant to be something that showed us the way to walk, showed us the way to live. Why else would Paul say to Timothy, not only had Paul suffered, but he would say to Timothy later, Yes, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why would he say that? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Who's wrong? The apostles or all these people that call themselves Christians but never suffer anything for their version of Christianity because it never makes anybody Sad, mad, or glad. It leaves everybody the same. Christ had enemies. The apostles had enemies. They had conflicts. They had difficulties. They had persecutions. 
we have a headache on Sunday morning. Be followers together of me. And he says, and mark or note them which walk as we do. Those who so walk. Now look at this word. This word mark or note. You know what that word is? That comes from the word skopos or skopos, some people would say, but it's skopos. S-K-O-P-O-S, from which we get our word scope. He says, scope it out. Zero in on it. Now reach up there and change the magnification from 8 to 25 and get it in there real close and look at it and study it. Take a picture of it. Put it on your refrigerator. Blow it up. Have it as your wallpaper on your computer. Hang it on the wall. Put it on your little card. Laminate it and study it and memorize it. Check it out. Make a careful note of what it is, he says. You know what else he's saying? Like those instructors used to do to us in the Air Force. Remember that foot stomping? When they're emphasizing a point that's going to be on the test, he says, walk by the same rule, mind the same thing, be like-minded, be followers of me. Mark those who walk as we do. Check it out. Scope it out. Make a note of it because you're going to be tested on this. Now, this is not a test like if you don't pass it, you're thrown out. We're not talking about that. Christians, one of the things that most of us don't spend very much time thinking about what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. But I'll tell you one of the things I believe is going to happen. Being as how God has given us a multitude of examples in his word of how we should live, one of the things we're going to be examined for at the judgment seat of Christ, because the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Unbelievers are not going to be there. And the first surprise for all some people is that they're not going to be there. But then the rest of us have a surprise. Those of us who are going to be there, we're going to find out. The Lord said, be followers. And one of the things he's going to look at is, did we follow the example of the apostles? The apostles tried to teach us and God's servants all down through the centuries. His true servants have tried to teach his people to follow, to obey, to observe all the things that Christ commanded. But the people that call themselves Christians don't want to do it, a lot of them. They'll go to church on Sunday and maybe some other time. But they don't want anybody getting in their life and messing with it. The Lord says, teach them to observe. And one of the things that's going to happen is... We're going to be asked. We're going to be examined. Did we follow the teaching of the apostles? He says, you have us for a what? You have us for a what? What's that word at the end of verse 17? Ah, a pattern. You, and I'm including myself, the apostle says, you have us. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and yes, even Luke, and the others who were apostles. He says, you have us. You got more than one example. You have us for examples. And he just finished in chapter 2 showing them how Timothy was an example. All seek their own. Everybody's looking out for his own interest, not for the things which are of Christ. But Timothy, he said, 
He's like-minded. I can send him to you. Are you the kind of person that could serve with Paul? Or are you so busy with your own plans and your own career and your own dreams and your own goals? And you know what? It really is sad that most people who call themselves Christians have more goals for their finances and for their job and for their material possessions and for their dog and cat than they have for their own spiritual life. They don't have any goals. It's a shocking thought. So many of them, they hear it for the first time. Do you have any goals spiritually? Pattern. The word is the word we get our word type from. Tupan. Type. It means an impression left by a blow on something or, a, or striking something that makes a pattern. So it's a mold. You strike something and you form it that way. And that impression or sometimes that seal or that stamp, this is what it produces. And he says, you have us for a mold. So is it good to pour everybody in the same mold? Oh, they don't like to hear that, do they? Thank you, Sylvia. They don't like to hear that. And you notice she's the only one that said it. And some of you are doubting. Some of you are doubting whether it's really okay. Whether it's really the idea. And some of you might be reserving the right to disagree. That's okay. You're not disagreeing with me. I don't take it personally. But you're disagreeing with God and he does take it personally. He says you have us for a type. You have us for a mold. You have us for a pattern. The old King James says it may be the simplest way for us to understand it. You have us for examples. Now, what's an example for? To follow. Where did we get the idea that we could live different from them? Where did we get that idea? You have us for an example, he says. What are you going to tell the Lord? I didn't know it. The apostle said it. What are you going to tell the Lord? I didn't know what to do. There's your example. You got all kinds of examples in the scripture. What are we going to tell him if we don't do it? We can't say we didn't know. He put it in His Word. We can't say we couldn't figure out what to do because He gave us examples. And you read through the book of Acts and you see example after example after example. And you know what happens to most of us? It goes in here and out there. And we remember more what we saw on some hour-long television program than all these examples that are in the Word of God that were meant to penetrate our armor and transform our lives. That's what God means You have us for a pattern. And all of us imitate. We do. Men imitate. They look at the world around them and they imitate. And how they dress and how they behave and how they make money and how they spend money. Cars and sex and materialism and attitudes and sports and business and priorities and all of those things. The language even. There was a man in, Mario, in Spain called Mario Conde. I think I told you about him one time. And Mario Conde, the way he dressed and the suits he wore and the way he combed his hair, because I don't have any problem with that, do I? And, and he had this kind of a way he stood and this little idiosyncrasies like that. And everybody wanted their children to be like Mario Conde. Be like Mario Conde. Imitate and buy the suits and comb your hair like Mario Conde and have these little 
and talk like him and act like him. And then Marty O'Connor one day got investigated and they found out he was a big fraud and they put him in prison. But women don't imitate anyone, do they? No. <laughs> One little chapel uh, way back on the East Coast, I'm not going to say where, and they were having gospel meetings all week long. And uh, they were all, you might say, pretty conservative dressers. And uh, one night, this woman who wasn't uh, a believer yet, some, she, somebody had invited her, so she came to the meeting. She said, well, a meeting in a public place. And she came in wearing a black miniskirt and spike heels and clip-clop, clip-clop all the way down to the front. And, and just, she was, a, I won't go into all the rest of it, she was a real show in herself. And she sat down. And uh, I think everybody breathed a sigh of relief when she sat down. But she kind of upset the the crowd. <laughs> wasn't very big, so they noticed her right away. And the funny thing was, she came back and nobody ever said a word to her. Nobody ever said to her, um, "Wow," or anything. No, they were so gracious. Nobody. Because that was not the point. Tell people how to dress. We're not into that. Did you know what? The next night she came back, she would dress just like all the rest of those ladies who were there. Ah, the women. The women are not dummies. In fact, women notice things a lot of times before men do. We're kind of boneheaded sometimes, you know. But they catch it right away. They got all their little antennas out and they, they catch it right away. So they can imitate appearance, dress, makeup. They can imitate the styles and they can imitate the behavior. But we imitate, they imitate just like the men, the language and the career choices. And all these things that they see, where do they see all of this? They see it in the world. They're not getting it out of the Bible. They didn't make the decision on how they wanted to live their life and how they wanted to behave and how they wanted to raise their family and how they wanted to dress and what their priorities were going to be and their career by having a little Bible study and deciding. They just more or less imitate what they see in the world around them. Oh, that's what's in the display window. That's what we're supposed to buy now. Okay, I'm going to buy that. Just follow along. Imitate whatever they're doing out in the world. And the young people, they don't do it either, do they? The clothing. Now the pants are supposed to be too big. Before they were supposed to be too little. <laughs> and the speech. All somebody's got to do, like, uh, what's his name on um, the sports program? It started calling the three-point shot the tri-victor. And now everybody's walking around talking about tri-vectors. What in the world is that? And the red zone and all of this stuff. Why don't you say he's inside the 20-yard line? But And worse things than that, the language they hear and the way people talk to each other and the jokes people make about each other and the way people treat each other. And they see all of this. And you know what? Well, if you're going to be cool, you've got to imitate that. And Priorities. And they look at what's out there in the world of cinema and they think there's an idea for me. I'd like to be like that. I'd like to have that. I'd like to drive that car. I'd like to have that career. I'd like to have that money. I want to have a house like that. What about what the Bible says? 
What about the Bible? Or is that only for Sunday? Churches. They want to do what they see on television. They want to have stars. They want to have entertainment. They want to have charismatic leaders. Thrilling, scintillating. Some of them want to get involved in politics and have protests and movements. Tozer said men want to be happy. He said the whole trouble with us is we got our priorities all wrong. Men want to be happy and God wants them to be holy. And the media continually working on us. Imitate, imitate, imitate. Paul says, brethren, are you a brother? Are you in the family? Are you really in the family? Are you really born again? Then this is for you. Be imitators, he says. Because there's others who don't imitate. There's others whose conduct, they walk in verses 18 and 19. They walk. Woo, how they walk. He already talked about them back in verse 2. And then he sort of left them to one side. But he's coming back to them because all these verses in the, the intervening verses, he's been thinking about them still. He's been emphasizing more the good example than the bad example because that's what we need. And all these things that Paul did from verse 7 down to verse 14 are things for us to imitate. Now you go home and think about that if you're imitating all those things in verses 7 to 14 because that's what Paul calls us to do. But then you got these others. They don't preach like Paul does, and they don't act like Paul does. They don't live like Paul does. Many, he says, walk. Many walk. That's the size of the problem. And if there were a lot of them back then, you just imagine how many there are today. If when the apostles lived and walked on this earth and taught, there was this problem, and it was on a large scale, just imagine how large it is today with no apostles living. Today, they don't have to face an apostle and look him in the eye. They just look at the Bible and close it or turn it to their favorite passage and leave it there on the coffee table and never read it. Many. Big problem. Of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. He warned them many times. And you know, I want you to understand something. That's one of the aspects. It's not the only, but it's one of the aspects, the biblical aspects of pastoral ministry, of teaching ministry, is to warn people. To warn them. And some people don't like to be warned. They don't like people to say, uh, don't go over there. Now, don't get involved in that. Let me give you a piece of advice. Look out for this. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. I know how to live. Just don't tell me what i got to do and what I don't got to do. Let, just let me... He says, I told you many times. I warned you many times. I told you often. Even weeping. I'm telling you again. And it made him sad. He was uh, totally disapproved of and disliked what they were doing. But the first emotion that came to his mind as he thought about it was not anger. It was sadness. He could weep. It is sad to be an enemy of the cross. But you know what? Every person who preaches a gospel or believes a gospel of salvation by works of any kind, they might be witnesses, they might be Roman Catholics, they might be Adventists, it doesn't matter who they are. It might be the Judaizers of that day, or it might be some cult in our days. It doesn't matter who they are. 
Everyone who preaches anything but what Paul and the other apostles preached is an enemy of the cross of Christ. And that's not just a confused person. That's a person who has taken a position opposing the cross and what it says. People don't like the cross because the cross says you can't work for your salvation. You're in such a desperate situation. Your need is so great that the only way out of it was for God to send his son down to die for you. That's it. You cannot save yourself. You can't earn any points with God. Jesus did it all. These people who come along saying, yeah, believe in Jesus and be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Because that's what they were saying in that day. The, the circumcision, the Judaizers. All oh, these people who come along today and say, believe in Jesus Christ and take the sacraments. Uh, believe in the Lord and go to Mass. Believe in the Lord and go to confession. Believe in the Lord and, and receive extreme unction. Believe in the Lord and keep the Ten Commandments. Believe in the Lord and, and also believe in and follow and obey everything that the Watchtower Society says. In fact, forget about reading the Bible. Just read the magazine. This problem isn't alive and well today. It's all over the place. They're enemies of the cross. And everyone who has not come to that place where they have bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted in him is in a place of identification with those who are the enemies of the cross. There is no neutral ground before God. You either belong to the Lord and are his or you're one with his enemies. Now, it might be by default. But that's your position until you come to him. There's no neutral ground. You're not in the undecided vote sector because there ain't none of that. Their end is destruction. All these false gospels and false teachings, their end is destruction. Ruined. Whose God is not in heaven is their belly. And what does he mean by that? What does he mean their God is their belly? Well, it was the... Roman Seneca who said, Abdomini servit. They serve the stomach. They serve the abdomen. What do you mean? Well, it can mean they're gluttons. It can mean they live simply for physical pleasures and delights. And there's a lot of that going on in the world today. Hedonist. And it can mean simply that, that since we talked before about the tender mercies or the bowels of Christ, that old word that referred to, and it is there in the Greek, refers to your inner feelings, your deep inner feelings. But it's feelings. People who live by their feelings, they like soulish religion. They like to feel, feel good about themselves, feel they're doing right, feel they're impressing God. Feel their earning points. But these fellows who teach that way often, these people who, who go this way often end up being the other. They often fall. Often there is a link between false teaching and sensual pleasure. Self-enrichment. self 
pleasing at the expense of others. And some of them, I found out, even have to walk around with bodyguards to protect them in some of these churches out in this area. Whose glory is their shame. The things that they're proud of are things they should be ashamed of. They're proud of their self-righteousness, of their works. And God says in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We talked about that the other day. I'm not going to go over that again. Nasty, filthy rags. And they're proud of it. Who mind earthly things. Their mind is not on the things of heaven. Their mind is set on earthly things. They're not heavenly minded. And you see there he goes with that. He goes into the contrast of those of us who are thinking about heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. But they mind earthly things. That's all they think about. Men of the world who have their portion in this life. Everything they got. Everything they think about. And not just men. Women. They can just be so happy. People. Just be so happy. You got your job. And you got your career. And you got your house. And you got everything more or less. Although who wouldn't like to have more money. But you got everything more or less how you'd like to have it. And, and that's it. And that's all you think about. Your mind is set on earthly things. Just the things that the people who don't even believe in God who live beside you think about. That's it. That's the sum total of what's going on in their thoughts. How different it is to have a mind full of Christ. To love Him and not just in the meetings. To think about Him at home. To love Him. To have Him in your mind. To be able to say, for me to live is Christ. Not for me to live is whatever else I do all the time. But Christ is in me and I think about Him. I read His Word. I pray. I trust in Him. I hope in Him. I talk about Him. I'm concerned to live the way He wants me to. Because I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ. I belong to Him. He says this is the way we are. Our citizenship. We're not like them. They're the enemies of Christ. We're the family of Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we don't need a green card to get into heaven. And we don't need, like I have in Spain, a residency permit to live there. Because we have a letter from the king that says, You belong to my family. You're in the family. Because you've been born again. And that's the only time you can pray what they call the Lord's Prayer. You can't pray our Father who art in heaven. If you haven't been born again, because God isn't your father. If you haven't been born again, that's the most ridiculous thing you can possibly say. Our father who art in heaven. Do what? Your citizenship isn't in heaven if you haven't been born again. Your father isn't in heaven. He's somewhere else, a little lower. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We talked about that in the men's seminar. Noblesse oblige. We're supposed to live because people look at us and they judge the teachings of Christ and they judge the promise of heaven and they judge the value of Christianity and the reality of it by what they see in the lives of the people who profess to believe it and follow it. And that's why Gandhi said to people one time, give me your Christ and take your Christianity. 
because he saw the hypocrisy and the shallowness and the falseness in so many people that said that they believed in Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Live like you belong to heaven. From whence we look for the Savior. That's what Christians are doing. I'm not looking for the streets of gold. I'll be glad to see them. Just as glad as you, brother. <laughs> but we're not looking for that. I don't think any of us are going to go walking into heaven saying, Oh, I want to run to the river. I want to take a picture of the river. I want to see the tree of life. I want to see the first thing we want to see is what? Amen. What does it say in Revelation? They shall see his face. A Christian is not just a person who at one time in his life got a little emotional and said he trusts Jesus. And then more or less after that his life was the same except sometimes he went to meeting on Sunday. No, no, no. A Christian is a person who has Christ in his heart and his mind and his life. It's his hope for the future. He says we wait. We're hoping. We're looking for a Savior. We're looking for him. We're not looking for him down here. He's not going to run for election. We're looking for him from heaven. That's where he's coming from. And this world is his. And he's going to claim it. And it's going to be his kingdom. And he's going to rule from the river to the ends of the earth. And I'm glad I belong to him. I'm glad I gave up my miserable little self-ruled life. And trusted in the Lord. And if you haven't done that, I feel so sorry for you. A pathetic eternally meaningless little life when you could belong to the king and the kingdom when heaven could be your citizenship and your home we look for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and when he comes what's he going to do what is our hope what is our hope he's going to change us he's going to change our body our lowly body our vile body he's going to change it so that it will be like his glorious body. <laughs> Just think how wonderful it's going to be. No more weakness. No more suffering. No more pain. No more failing. And no more old nature. No more inner struggle. We're going to be like him. We're going to be like him. It doesn't mean we're all going to look like mirror images. Facially, physically. It's not talking about cookie cutter carbon copies that way. It's talking about morally and spiritually to be like Christ. And then the Lord isn't going to have to say to anybody in heaven, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, because we're going to have it. But now he says it to us. He says, don't wait. Don't wait to hear the trumpet. Remember the Lord's coming. Remember what he's going to do. Let it fill you with hope. He's going to make us like him. And he's able to do it. He's going to use that same power, it says in verse 21, with which he's able to subdue all things to himself. Go read the book of Revelation. Go see what he does with the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. Hear the thundering. See the earthquakes and the hail that comes down. See his wrath poured out on this earth. See the nations humble themselves and tremble before him. See the beast and the false prophet cast into the lake of fire forever. And the devil himself. And everything submitted in the whole geography of planet earth changed. And the apostle says, I saw new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And that power, that power, 
that can do all of those things and subdue all of those enemies and change all of those things, that power works in the life of a person who trusts in Him with love and tenderness and gentleness. But it is a power that transforms us and makes us into new people. And if you don't know anything about that transforming power of Christ in you, you better wake up. It is that power, he says, that will change our body. This lowly body of ours, 1 Corinthians 15 says, that it's corruptible now, but it's going to be incorruptible. He's going to change it in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, he's going to make us different. He's going to take away everything that's not like him. But you know what it says in 1 John 3? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And he says, Beloved, it does not now appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. We shall be as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. There is no place in Christianity for people who have no interest in holiness, purity, separation from the world, commitment to Christ. That's not Christianity. That might be Christendom, the cheap imitation. But that's not real biblical Christianity. So he says, look, the Lord's going to do all of this. You imitate the good example. You avoid the bad example. You choose carefully which example you're going to follow. Because there's only two classes of examples. And you choose carefully where you're going to put your hope and your love and your priorities. Who you're going to identify yourself with. The citizens of this world or those of heaven. Are you a pilgrim? I want to be a pilgrim of the heavenly way. Nothing on this earth is holding me back. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, and longed for my joy and crown, because that's what they'll be for him. When he gets to heaven and he sees those Philippian believers there, he's going to be happy to see them. He's going to have a joy, a cause for rejoicing in heaven, and a crown in heaven, a reward in heaven. It's going to be those Philippian believers and others in other places. And I read that and I say, and what am I going to have? And I ask you, what are you going to have when you get to heaven? Are you going there? Do you know it for sure? Are you going to go empty-handed? Are you going to have joy? Reason to have joy? Are you going to have crown? Is there going to be any fruit, any result of you having been a Christian here? Except for the fact that you came to meetings when it was expected of you? Is there going to be any fruit, any joy, any growth, any Christ-likeness? making any sacrifices for him, putting him first in any way, counting anything lost for him, following any example given by him and his apostles in his word? Is there any change, any growth, any commitment, any movement toward that great moment when our lives will be summed up? Paul says, stand fast. Don't turn back. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't waver. Don't throw in the towel. Stand fast. He says. 
And what other advice could I give this church tonight? Stand fast. That's what the Lord says. Chapter 3 in retrospect. Two phrases. Not mutilation, but transformation. And not religion and works, but Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word, for the opportunity we have to look into it. And we know that one day you're going to hold us responsible for the things that we have read and studied. For the things that we have heard. For the opportunities that you have given us and the examples you have put before us. And you have said to us clearly tonight that it is our responsibility, it is incumbent upon each of us to follow the apostolic example. To be followers of the apostles and those who followed them, that we have them for examples. And we pray that you would speak to us, each of us. Show us, do we have that faith, that Lord that the apostles had? Are we true believers? Show us. Are we following him? Are we following them? Are we example followers? Or are we lone rangers, independent, self-governed folk who sometimes call themselves Christians? Help us, O Lord, to take full advantage of this opportunity given to us tonight. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.